So Elon Musk is getting in on the NFT hype train, non-fungible tokens. He's got his very own. Apparently, the bid is already at $1.1 million. I'm not all that surprised. I mean, this is a fairly high-profile individual, particularly within those communities of individuals that would be interested in something like an NFT anything blockchain related anything technology related and as he would normally do he kind of approached it with a meme with a joke his he released a song to go with a kind of like rotating trophy video and the rotating trophy has that well there's diamond hands in the middle and it says hodl and it says computers nft all the way at the top there's rocket ships involved it has all the it's a it's very memeable. It's a meme trophy, sure. essentially. But then there's also a song. Now, I don't know who produced the song. By the way, this tweet uh, has 172,000 likes at this moment right now, 41,000 replies. You can play a little bit of it. 8.2 million views. You can play a little bit of it. Okay. It should be all right. NFT. So this might have something to do with him being the techno king with the... Like happened on the last episode, you got the new title. It says, so it says like vanity, you need this NFT, vanity, etc. So it's kind of making a joke about the NFT thing. You can pause it now. It's making a joke about the NFT thing while simultaneously participating and encouraging you to participate within the NFT hype. Now, the listing, the way it was listing, listed was actually a little bit different from what I had seen previously. It was uh, on valuables, so not the big platforms that we've seen in the past. This is a platform released by Scent, and it is a social media network built on blockchain. Now, if you click on it, it's not really all that pretty. If you click on the link listed for sale, up a little higher there, Will. Uh, too far. Listed for sale. Maybe you just want to search for it. Listed for sale as an NFT on valuables. And the current highest offer is held by Sina Estavi, the CEO of Bridge Oracle. I think this guy has been involved in a number of NFT purchases. Now, if you scroll down here on valuables, you'll see the history of bids. Uh, most of it coming in like 13 hours ago, at least the recent ones. Getting all the way up to $1.12 million as of right now, though, of course, this can change. I don't know. I don't know when... I don't see a timeline on this particular one. Actually, as a follow-up, Jack Dorsey also sold his first tweet through Valuables as well, so a popular platform for the tech types, it appears. And he has stated that he's putting an end to his particular uh, auction, and it will be March 21st. That, of course, is uh, Jack Dorsey auctioning off the very first tweet ever on Twitter, which happens to belong to him. And I believe the bid there is sitting at $2.5 million. So it's kind of interesting to see NFTs as like a popularity tracker, but that seems to be a key component in the value of these things. It's like social media clout. Uh, certainly for artists, that has panned out as well. You just have a bigger audience base. You have more potential clients. Mm -hmm. The message gets amplified further, whether you're talking about some of those high-profile digital artists, but also people like Jack Dorsey and now Elon Musk who are to a certain extent cashing in. Now I know, I believe Jack Dorsey is going to be donating the proceeds to charity in his case. 
Give directly Africa response is where his crypto will be going after this auction is done. I don't think that Elon stated anything specifically about what happens with his NFT. And it's a bit different because in one case, you have the original tweet from 2006, which is obviously has some collectability to it. Mm -hmm. Granted, you'll be able to go see the tweet. The tweet remains in the public sphere. Uh, and then in the other case, you have something created by Elon Musk five minutes ago. Or obviously last night and it might very well catch up to the to the bidding you can see it's Sina Astavi on this one as well so I knew I knew that name oh this person is now on the hook for 2.5 million if it holds up hmm. on the Jack Dorsey tweet and as it stands right now another 1.12 million on Elon's uh, latest uh, musical slash visual endeavor it's a lot of ETH let me ask you something here Will this is the key question for you and is what we're here for you can only buy one of these two NFTs. It's either going to be Jack Dorsey's original tweet or Elon Musk's NFT song slash rotating NFT trophy. The same price. If they were the same, if they were the same price. Hmm. I mean the the trophy with the music, right? I don't mind that. Interesting. You know? I'm surprised by that. Really? I thought you were going to go the other way for like for historical significance. Oh. Well, I like the moving pictures and oh, you like at least it's colorful pictures. You can do something with it. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Can dance to it. Okay. So yeah. What about you? I probably would, as it stands right now, I would probably take the Dorsey tweet. Oh yeah. Well, because it can. It is part of this thing is the idea of scarcity, and that truly is one of one. Elon could get right. really hyped up about NFTs and make. 13 of those. Sure, yeah. And then it just, from a significant standpoint, but I see what you're saying. I mean, you're judging it based on the, I guess, the media itself. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking more about in the context of the internet and collectability. Yeah, I hear you. I, I agree too. Like, Oh, okay, you changed your... Uh, I don't know. I'm still 50-50. Okay. No, right. I, I still like the Elon. You know what? And not to say that there isn't cultural significance here. This is sure. also, this could be a moment in history, but it's just the age of the other one for me. When it comes to collectibles, at least traditional collectibles, age matters a lot. Yeah. And 2006 feels like 100 years ago at this point. Right. And so if we were talking about, like, say, a baseball card or something like this, if you had a rookie card of a high-profile player and it was 15 years old, they tend to go up in value over time. Age yeah. just plays a role. I'm not necessarily suggesting point. that NFTs will map identically because they probably won't, mm -hmm. but it's just a consideration. So anyway, sure. that's that's my rationalization in a in a sometimes irrational segment. Uh, Apple brand loyalty has hit an all-time high, according to this particular uh, study. And Samsung loyalty took a little bit of a dive. So this was uh, this was Cell Cell S E L L C E L L that ran this particular study. It was a total of how many respondents? Five thousand U.S. smartphone owners, two thousand each of iPhone and Samsung. So that gets you to four thousand, and the rest was split across other brands. These are the people that the question questions were being asked of the question they were faced with is whether or not they plan to buy another iphone next upgrade same question for samsung owners do you plan to buy another samsung phone next upgrade 
91.9% of iPhone owners in that study said they would buy another iPhone when the next upgrade came around. That's a high percentage, and it's actually up from 2019. Hmm. So, yeah, brand loyalty. I mean, this is 5,000 people, but in this case, brand loyalty sees a bit of a raise. As far as Samsung is concerned, 74% of Samsung owners said they plan to buy another Samsung model, which is down from 857 in 2019. So... These are kind of, they're so close to one another that given the small sample size, you could almost say it's pretty much the same as it has been previously. And there's a number of factors that play into this, particularly the first thing to remember is we're talking about the U.S. market specifically. That's an important characteristic, well, of any study, but specifically here where smartphone markets around the, around the world do differ quite a bit. A lot of iPhones. And then... On top of that, the the whole ecosystem component. If you are a Samsung user and you say, you know what, I'm not going to buy another Samsung next time around. Mm. The variety of potential other Android options available to you and add Apple to that if you're thinking of, of shifting platforms, it's a tremendous variety there for you that you may perceive. However, if you are deeply entrenched in the Apple ecosystem from, a, from the standpoint of a variety of accessories or... Uh, software products like iMessage that you that are exclusive to one piece of hardware, that's a little tougher to uh, untangle yourself and move on. Mm -hmm. For a Samsung owner to transition to a Google product or an Oppo product or a OnePlus product, it's less friction than for a person to switch platforms completely. Right. So I just wanted to put that piece in there. Uh, the reasons that iPhone owners gave for sticking with Apple, they said they liked the iPhone best. That was a 65% said they had no issue with it. 21% said the ecosystem answer, which I just explained. That's a high percentage as well. 10% said switching from iOS to Android would be too much of a hassle. That's a real thing. I hear people say in real life as well. And 8% say they prefer to stick with what they know. So you can see all those answers are kind of in the same in the same way, in the same, a similar category. Um, as far as iPhone owners who do plan to switch for Andro to switch to Android, the, the, those people do exist. There is a small percentage of them. I guess it's like 9% in this study. They say the reason that they would switch would be screen, camera, battery, et cetera, just better technology. It's 38% of the small percentage that are willing to. They prefer the design of other brands, 26.4%. Or the latest model from another brand has more features than the latest model of my current brand, 12.9%. They also asked respondents to just pick their favorite smartphone overall. The 12 and 12 Pro Max were up near the top. S21 came in third. It's 5,000 people in a study. It does not mean that the whole world agrees with this. You, that study has never been done, will never be done. But we certainly do know that both of these brands have a loyal fan base. And... Uh, what can you say? That's a brand value mm -hmm. right there. How about this one? Apple may, Apple and others actually, may have to pony up some dollars to Wikipedia. This is something you don't often think about. This is like when you go to Wikipedia and they're like, hey, Will, you owe, hey, Will, give us a few bucks. This is yeah. a, a not-for-profit over here. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're enjoying reading this. Uh, give me a dollar, please. Mm -hmm. You know, that whole exchange. Well... I guess it turns out that maybe that model is not completely sustainable or 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 that maybe 
it was a limited time opportunity, or that maybe it should remain free forever for Willie Do with the option to donate. But big mega corporations that tap into the data pool that's there, and maybe they should pony up a few dollars for for the enhancement of that particular platform because they're using it in a commercial sense when they tap into that data. When you boot up Siri or Google Assistant or whatever it happens to be, you're you can be pulling from Wikipedia on a right. frequent basis, and Wikipedia is sitting there saying, "Wait a sec, you're profiting off that." Mm-hmm. And what part do we play? <clears throat> but this is a common conversation, isn't it? I mean, you had the Australia stuff going on. Uh, India was looking into whether or not they wanted, wh- whether or not they were going to change the rules around how companies like Google and Apple, Apple operate through the monetization of content and and how, how much the producers of that content should be involved mm-hmm. in that process and all the rest of it. So Wikipedia is kind of in the same spot. Uh, there is a new product from Wikimedia, the Wikimedia Foundation called Wikimedia Enterprise. And Wikimedia Enterprise provides paid developer tools and services that make it easier for companies and organizations to consume and reuse Wikimedia data. So this is like a commercial facing portion of the foundation, it appears. Uh, This is the first time that the foundation has recognized that commercial users are users of our service. Um, we've known they are there, but never really treated them as a user base. Now, the upside of this is if there's a relationship that's figured out, presumably you could have greater support tools and even a tighter integration between the technology companies you interact with and Wikipedia's data set. So could be an upside. Hopefully they can strike a deal that works for all parties. Incredible resource, Wikipedia, I mean. It's hard to even, it feels like one of those things on the web that, with, if it were to vanish, you'd be like, "Whoa, what happened here? This was a this was this was something the internet needs to have." Everyone needs to go back to a encyclopedia. Oh my god! At that point, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. paid a paid encyclopedia. Like yeah. like I used to get. You would buy a new computer and it'd be like, "You get the Encarta for free." As a deal. Oh yeah. But yeah, normally yeah. it would be paid sixty dollars or something like this. But of course, the problem there will is. Uh, who writes the encyclopedia? Whose facts are they? Look at that. Imagine for Encarta ended up in Wikipedia. You see what I'm saying here? <laughs> you see what I'm saying here? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't make it into the encyclopedia as well, right? It would be a problem like what's happened with dictionaries. Like you go to look for the definition of a word, 17 different places pop up, and yeah, you end up just using the the Google related. That's that, that's the argument. Is like Google is sourcing those results for somewhere, but you're skipping having gone to the site. Mm-hmm. Even in the case of Wikipedia, if you go back, like you can read mostly what you want to get. Microsoft Encarta was a digital multimedia encyclopedia. You did not click through the page. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a lot of conversations about how this is all going to map out, and disputes are constantly ongoing. But uh, anyway, I'll just say, Wikipedia. Wonderful resource. Hopefully these tech companies can just uh, throw a few bucks, a little tip here and there. I don't know. Sure. Build a build a relationship. Maybe it's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, OnePlus 9 Pro is going to be upon us here very shortly. We were talking about how OnePlus is basically just leaking these things. I mean, they just show it to you. They're like, yeah, we got an event coming, but here's the phone. We'll show it to yeah. you a week and a half in advance, whatever it is. I mean, they've been showing it to us even before that, but now we see the whole thing. Uh, including all kinds of specs, 
we got I think Pete uh, Pete was showing off on his Twitter account like screen specifications and things like this. Latest one is technically a leak because it didn't come from the OnePlus CEO's Twitter account, but this would be pretty nice. Apparently the OnePlus 9 Pro model will boast 50 watt wireless charging, which has some pretty fast wireless charging. Uh, you have phones that don't charge wired that fast. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some variety of opinions on this. Some people say, I don't want to be charging my phone that fast and degrade my battery life or long-term, this and that. I don't care about those arguments, Will. No. I want to charge my phone quickly, especially in a, an emergency-type situation. I forgot to charge it. I got to bounce. I got to leave. Yeah. And when you combine the convenience of wireless, not looking for a cable, just a, a, a spot where it lives and a quick entry... And then the speed associated with it as well. You can have that thing in the kitchen. You just hit it, 50 watt wireless, you're ready to go. Yep. You don't need to wait for 100%. You just zoom in straight up. So I think it's, uh, well, it's a feature that I look for. It's a feature that matters to me. Fast charging in general and then fast wireless is a bonus. And a diff- it's a differentiator because a lot of these other brands have moved away from really talking about charging uh the big flagship brands that are no longer including chargers mm. they don't really they're not competing on this spec because it would be an accessory for them now i understand the wireless charger in this case will be an accessory but it will be part of the conversation around fast charging and they will include a power brick they already confirmed it so they can say we're going to give you this really fast they can talk about fast charging because yeah. it's in there because they can <clears throat> because it's in the box yep uh, Google Go passes 500 million downloads on a Play Store. You know about Google Go? Well, <clears throat> uh, no, no. So heard of them before? Yeah. So it's it's actually you probably heard of Android Go. Android right. Go is the lightweight version of Android for lower spec hardware in emerging markets. Now, one thing I didn't, I don't know why it never. Uh, it never ended up on my plate, but okay, you're going to have to have all these other applications that have a similar a similar approach to the entire operating system if the goal here is to provide a lightweight experience. Uh, and so that includes the browser. It includes, uh, what was the one I was talking about the other day? Even, even third-party apps like Instagram, Instagram Lite, that will be a little bit more lightweight, run a little bit more smoothly, and utilize less data. Mm. And so that that's what Google Go is. It's the Google equivalent for Android Go. So oh. this particular number, as far as hitting 500 million downloads on a Play Store, is indicative of the popularity of Android Go, the lightweight Android, that it, because it ships on it. Mm. But then it's even well above the number of... of it's people are also downloading the thing on its own. I see. They're also downloading Google Go. Maybe they just want a lightweight experience. Believe it or not, it used to exist as something called Search Lite, which debuted in 2017. I can't believe I didn't hear about it, but I mean, you can uh, you can utilize such a thing if you choose to. Designed for people with slow connections. Hmm. So it's a nice little utility for you. I don't know if you're in a spotty situation or you happen to have a slow connection. Just be aware there's an option for you. Reach for Google Go and have a more lightweight experience. Xbox recently put out their new wireless headset, which we spoke about on this show prior to the launch. I said I like the design. I like the look of it. We actually have it here. It, it, it has arrived? Yeah, yesterday. 
yeah, so we'll be taking a peek shortly. Uh, in the meantime, I read through some initial thoughts here over on Ars Technica from Sam Matchkovich. Matchkovich. And uh, he's got some interesting takeaways here. One, one thing that I'm most interested to check out is the technology on a firmware level based around muting the microphone automatically. Because you know how this is, right? Like, this is a huge issue when you hear the people with the chatter in the background or someone's yeah. yelling in the background or there's music in the background. It's so trashy sounding and crap. Mm -hmm. Now, there have been software-based solutions to try to figure this out, but the integration here is a lot more sophisticated. And like I said, it's on a it's on a firmware level, apparently. So it's right within the... Uh, let's see the way that he phrases it here specifically. Uh, I synced my headset to Windows 10 PC and ran a few audio recording apps to verify how this firmware level default works while leaving the slightly bendy microphone in its default position hovering on the left cheek. The mic has two behaviors. It will wait between three to five seconds after speaking loudly to mute itself. So if you've been silent for three to five seconds after being actively engaged in a conversation, it will automatically mute itself. If... However, it's, it's awoken by a shorter loud sound, like a sniff or a jostle or something like this, then it will mute even faster within one to two seconds. Hmm. I left it recording during average breathing without it triggering once. And whenever I, this is what I was worried about because I tried this technology on those, the re recent uh, Galaxy Buds product that had that auto, because I was thinking about how this would work out in daily life as well. When you go to trigger, to open the gate, the audio gate through, with your voice, or in the case of those other headphones, to open the microphone on the outside, mm. it's not that sophisticated. It can be really botchy, and, and sometimes it clips uh, clicks in, and other times it doesn't. Anyway, in this case, he says it was perfect. Uh, whenever I interrupted the silence with random low-volume speech, it woke instantly without losing a single syllable. Huh. So... That's the interesting, it's like one tech thing that I noticed on there that I'm, I really want to try out because I think it does have implications for headphones in general when it comes to transparency modes. I would love to have that really nice software. Now, keep in mind, it's a bit easier on a gaming headset to achieve a feature like this because the microphone is sitting right by your mouth. Right. Whereas with a pair of earbuds, obviously, it's a little bit further back. Either way, uh, overall, he says that he says they're pretty good in his from his point of view, for the price, it's around a hundred bucks. Uh, they use 2.4 gigahertz to connect, which could be nicer than Bluetooth in, in certain circumstances. So I'll try them out myself, see, see what we're dealing with. It is a first gen product, keep it in mind, but the design, I'm a fan. The mic is not removable. It actually bends up into place. There is something nice about getting a first party accessory though, hmm. that everything's supported out the gate, no external attachments yep. or adapters. It's just, Ready to go and working. Seamless. Uh, Google has cut App Store fees for developers on their first million in annual sales. You may recall this topic of conversation around the time that Epic started complaining and saying, hey, this is not cool. This is not fair. And then Apple made a similar decision to basically say, look, Epic, you're suggesting that this is hurting developers. Why don't we just give a boost to those little developers that you're claiming to be fighting for by limiting our cut for them and not for you? 
Because guess what? You build more than a million in annual sales, and it ain't even close. Mm. So Google's following suit, and it actually kind of took a while when you think of it that way. Google announced Tuesday it will cut Google Play App Store fees to 15% on the first million dollars a developer makes on Google's store per year starting on July 1st. After that, it goes back up to the standard 30% fee for in-app purchases and downloads. And yes, this is following Apple's decision, which came in December. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's if you're a small time developer, you can keep a little bit more of your proceeds, a little bit more of your revenue, as opposed to sending it over to Google. I think it's a good move. I think, I think that's exactly the group that uh, needs it mm-hmm. and and where they may they may dig their heels in they may take the extra 15 percent that they were giving to you hire some more people advance the app do a little bit more marketing sure. reach that million dollar goal and then end up paying you the 30 points anyway mm-hmm. as opposed to bailing being like we can't handle it and so it may actually act as a sort of stimulus to those individuals as well but Let's not assume that that was the only motivation. Let's assume that they're also gearing up for a variety of lawsuits, just like Apple and Epic, and they're going to sit there and point and say, no, look, we're nice to the small guys. We're nice to the small guy. Uh, Speaking of app development and app-related news, how about this article? Which apps are most likely to be sharing your personal data and how much? Now, you want to take any guesses before we scroll down? Did you read this article? No, I didn't. Don't take any guesses. The number one app. Can you name the number one app that's sharing the most personal data from you if you use it? Say Facebook. You're close. It's Instagram. Instagram. And it's Instagram by a lot. Number two is actually Facebook. Oh, okay. Some might be surprised to find out that it's it's actually number three. It's actually Instagram that's more leaky than Facebook. Like that's kind of surprising. You would think, but Instagram is just this shopping machine it's just if you've ever had this experience i mean obviously these companies they uh trade data and you've had this experience where you were googling a product and then you're scrolling instagram it's like oh right there's that product it's very specific yep and it's actually kind of scary yeah and if these two if you're thinking about okay what does the data set look like that google has well okay that's one thing you look in there and you see your it can map your age and this and that and all the rest of it but then you think oh what if all these companies pool that data together. Now, how comprehensive is that picture of myself that they have? Yeah. And so this matters to advertisers. It matters to sellers of goods. They want to know as much about Willie Do as possible so they hit you at the right time, the right moment with the right thing. And it works. And it works. <laughs> and then you end up pulling the trigger and buying things. Oh, man. Uh, so 52% of all apps that they studied in this particular test, by the way, the website peakcloud.com, uh, 52% of apps in, in this were sharing data with third parties as a whole. There's a nice little chart, and you're probably going to have to zoom into it, though, that showcases what exactly is being shared and how much. So percentage of personal data collected that is shared on Instagram with third parties is 79% of data. This includes purchases, location, contact info, contacts, user content, search history, browsing history, identifiers, usage data, diagnostics, financial info. That is a laundry list right there. There's a few things in there. Facebook coming in at number two is 57% of personal data collected is shared with third parties. And it's a similar list to Instagram minus search history, browsing history, which is an interesting one because I feel like that's where Instagram really gets you. 
is is when it's integrating your browsing history into your advertising over there. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn comes in at number three. How about Uber Eats at number four? Yeah, Easy that's Uber really Eats. Invasive. Just trying to <laughs> catch a meal over here. In the case of Uber Eats, you have uh, purchases, location, contact info, search history. No, yes, yeah, search history, identifiers, usage data, and other data, which who knows. Moving down the list, there's YouTube, YouTube Music, eBay comes in at number 10. Scroll a little bit further. TikTok is actually in number 12. Reddit, number 15. Snapchat looks to be the lowest of the social media companies at 17. Not sharing too much of your data. Uh, CNN, Hulu, Roku. Now, obviously, they did not. Twitter, oh, I take that back. Twitter's all the way down at number 28 as far as social media is concerned. They're sharing very little of your data with third parties. So this is just something to keep in mind. Uh, privacy is increasingly this topic of conversation. Increasingly, people are becoming aware of how valuable their data is. DoorDash, shout out DoorDash, all the way down at number 49, sponsored his show. It's interesting to know. Uh-huh. Uh, how can DoorDash basically, let's see, it's only one icon. They only, uh-huh. the only piece of information is identifiers. So it's a, it's a lot less than something like Uber Eats. I don't know why how Uber Eats makes the case that they need to share your purchases with third parties, right? Potential advertisers. There's so many ways to monetize this stuff. Mm-hmm. But you take an app like Instagram, they're sharing 79% of your data collected and then scroll down to Twitter in the like 28th spot. It's down like, it's like 20% that they're able to get away with. And I mean, companies like Walmart are down at 14%. So there are ways to do this. It all depends how much it matters to you. Uh, you are valuable, Willie Do Your data is valuable. And these companies are figuring out ways. Now, I just want to put one other thing out there because this sounds very doom and gloom. There is an argument around the sharing of this data and how it potentially enhances your internet experience. And I'm just going to, let me just paint the picture. Let me just make the case. You're on Instagram. Instagram is talking to Google, let's say. They're they're, they're just sharing information back and forth, search history, history, browsing history. All of a sudden, you get this quick video in your feed, which is relevant to you, and it's a product you've been researching. Now, some people think, this is so creepy. Don't do this to me. I don't want this. But you have to think about what will be in its place. Mm-hmm. You can't just think about it in isolation like it's either that or nothing. No, Instagram is not going to exist as a service with nothing. Mm-hmm. That's just not reasonable. So it's kind of like how it was watching TV when you were a kid and getting stuck with some ad that's completely irrelevant to you yeah. and actually harmful to your experience. So this is not cut and dry. It is not black and white. It is very difficult to figure out dynamic systems that are capable of... Now, they could go more basic, they could make it very demographic driven, but sure. that comes with its own consequences in assuming that you might like something. It's it's very complicated. Uh, we all know the position that many big tech companies have taken. We saw Tim Cook give a whole speech on why privacy is number one. It's it, At a certain point, you as a customer, you have to decide which services are worth it mm-hmm. and whether or not the transaction is a worthwhile one to you. And actually analyze the ads that you're seeing because the internet, yes. without being subsidized by ads is not the internet that you know, uh-huh. right? All these free services. If if YouTube didn't have ads, there is no YouTube, not the one that you know, 
If if certainly you can't, it's very difficult to figure out. Do you force everybody to pay? Like, let's say you get rid of all that and Instagram becomes a paid service. Who's prepared to pay for Instagram? Right. Is that better? I mean, maybe for some people, Mm -hmm. maybe options are the best. Well, that's where YouTube does it right. The premium subscription, right? You just hit the premium subscription. You get YouTube music, YouTube and no ads. And that's what I use. And it's you still pay your creators, your favorite creators, just by watching them. Yep. They get a percentage of that thing. That's a nice, clean exchange. But that's not going to be possible for everyone to afford that. Uh-huh. And so you have this diff- these different tiers. Maybe Instagram, Facebook, and others should do the same. You want to opt out of this variety of things? Okay, here's what we were generating as far as revenue. Yeah. I think they know, though, that a lot of people would quit if that were the case. Yeah, pa- they probably paid. have the data. No, but what I mean to say is it kind of makes sense to me, YouTube premium, Instagram premium, or Twitter premium, or what they were calling like super follows. It's harder for me to, to from a value perspective, like what I personally get out of YouTube versus those other platforms. Uh-huh. There's something about how long is the content, how much work went into it. Like I'm more willing to watch more ads, let's say, or to be inclined to pay money for a different type of content. You know what I'm saying? I get what you're saying, yeah. I mean, same, like, people pay for Netflix, but it's not seven-second clips that they're swiping through, like, who cares? Right, right. It's It's very, there's a lot of intent for the viewer in those circumstances. So, anyway, it's up to it's up to you, but go check out the chart. It's uh, interesting nonetheless. Uh, how about this for another app? I don't know how much data they're going to steal from you. I'm just joking. Relax. I'm joking. It's called Swell, and it is a new iPhone app, which is... Kind of like Clubhouse, but they don't want to be compared to Clubhouse. It's an audio app. It's on your terms. And what this means is you don't have to be there live, and it is not an actual exchange in a sense that it's real time. Instead, it's an audio back and forth that's recorded, so you can respond at your leisure. Kind of like a an audio message board or an right. audio comment section, kind of. Voicemail. So you would have a picture a caption and an audio recording that you would post. Hmm. So no need for video. Maybe you don't want to do video. Maybe you just have a thought or maybe you have a discussion point or maybe you want to read some poetry. I don't know, Will. And so you record that and then other individuals can respond and react in line as in the form, I guess, of a conversation. Hmm. Now, maybe this is not meant to be hugely mainstream. Maybe this is for a smaller social group that can have their own kind of hangout, let's say. Uh But everyone's trying to figure out, like, what are these new, especially with the popularity of Clubhouse, why is it that Clubhouse worked when you could, uh, I mean, you could get together on any video conference app and essentially record a hangout. Mm -hmm. No, Clubhouse worked because maybe people don't always want the camera there. And maybe people want this kind of seamlessness of just on the phone, just quickly tapping. Maybe you don't want to have to think about how do I frame my, you know, right. more like a phone call almost. Mm-hmm. So everyone's trying to figure this out. This is another another option launching at a really hot time right now. Gonna Even if it's different, it will still be, go up against apps like Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces. Uh Anyway, here's what they say. Swell is powered by the human voice. Our voices humanize us. Conversations on Swell are genuine. You can hear the emotions, understand the intent. So that's kind of like an anti-Twitter sentiment where it's like when you're just typing anonymously, 
you might be less sincere. It might be harder to um, figure out if you were sarcastic or something. Right, yeah. So you just do this post over here, and they're like, no, nah, that person sounds genuine. They're Oh, they're making a joke. I can tell by the way they're saying right. type of thing. On your time, no scheduling necessary. Uh, authentic, first-hand accounts and perspectives, and no ads. So coming back to our previous topic, we believe that ad-driven ecosystems have the wrong incentives and go against our goal of fostering thoughtful and authentic conversations. So then you're going to ask me for money at some point is what I take from that. Maybe, yeah. Which is cool. I know you're going to just raise a bunch of money in the interim, build your thing. Hopefully it becomes valuable enough that people are willing to pay money, but that seems like a tougher road sometimes. Here's one from Instagram that feels really important. Like, thank goodness. Mm. Instagram will no longer let adults message teens who don't follow them. <laughs> you read a headline like that and you're like, wait a sec, they were prior to now, that's what they were doing? Did they allow you to do that? Prior to now, that's what was happening? But yeah, it was happening. And I mean, I would hope that a lot of these teens are a little bit educated on the dangers of social media and would be setting their privacy settings to not allow such a thing to be easy to do. But uh, basically, Instagram has, has, has set set something up here in order to better track suspicious activity from certain accounts that seem to be continuously sending message requests to underage people and they happen to be adults themselves. Is there like an automatic report button as well? Safety like prompt, yeah. Safety prompts will give teenage users the option to report or block adults who are messaging them. The prompts will remind young users not to feel pressured to respond to messages and to be careful sharing photos, videos, or information with someone you don't know. You have to read a feature like this and and imagine, as dark as it is, you must imagine all the terrible cases that have taken place prior to this particular functionality going into place right. that this level of warning now i'm sure some of it is preemptive but there have been some terrible things that can occur from uh from these th this type of access people can fake it claim to be somebody i mean it's just an account i mean there's so many ways in which someone could be compromised Instagram also says it's developing new artificial intelligence and machine learning technology to try to detect someone's age when they sign up for an account so they can't just fake it uh, that's that whole data thing. They need to ask Google, how old sure, is this person yeah. actually at this IP address? And then they're going to say, see, you want us, you want people to share the data. It's how we police the thing. Yeah. People are like, I don't know about you. Is that really it? You want to sell me those sneakers real quick? <laughs> by the well, way, a little been, bit of both. By the way, I've been wearing the, uh, the slides, the ultra boost slides, and, uh, I'm a big fan so far. Oh yeah. So I paid a little bit more than a typical pair of slides, but they feel just a little bit more structured and almost like a better substitute for a shoe. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, that's all I'll say on the matter for now. They're brand new, so I sent you a link for the Nikes. Yeah, but uh, then, but the the it's uh, coming soon. Coming soon, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now they do have a sort of halfway version of it that I saw on the Air Max, but I just couldn't get behind the styling in order to order it. It was the uh, Air Max Flyes, right? which you can buy right now. And it's not the same thing as the full-out Flyees that you were talking about or, or that everybody's, everybody's talking about. Like, look at that thing with the big giant wing on the back. Oh. It's, uh, from a functionality standpoint, I can get behind it, right? You don't have to bend over. You just slip your foot in and to go take it off. It's not at... Nah. What? Go ahead, go ahead. Nah. Oh, you hate it. 
Well, the wing looks kind of ridiculous. Oh, yeah, the it? look. I know. The styling is the problem. I almost want to buy it just to try the slip-on effect, though. I see. Even, yeah. but, you know, I started thinking, this is me just being way too logical about it. But I was like, you know what I do sometimes is I'll sit back and cross my feet one over the other. Mm. Now, normally, I'm not wearing a shoe when I'm doing that. Normally, it would be a sock, and that's fine. But I'm thinking, if ever I had to do that when I'm sitting on the recline over there, huh. I'd be stabbing my shin with the wing on the back of the other heel. All right, yeah. But anyway, they have That's a few nice. different products. So there's the, uh, what is that one called? The Met Metcon? It's like a weightlifting or, or oh, workout type of shoe, Metcon 6. And they have a Fly Ease version. There's a basketball shoe with a Fly Ease version. So that's their new line is So uh, they're kind of trying to say, yeah, we're good. it's accessibility. And and you know what, Will, I'm not going to get all sentimental with you right now. What the heck is this? That's you a different like a technique. It tight it's at the back. That tightens the thing on the front oh. side where the tongue is. Oh. I'm I'm going to get I'm not going to get fully sentimental with you, but there is more to this than just people being lazy like myself or maybe not lazy is not the right word, but like wanting a more efficient way of putting a shoe on. Sure. There's, there's a real story around accessibility for people who have difficulty putting their shoes on. Really? Like might have a disability or something. Oh, okay. And I watched a couple videos and I was kind of blown away how some of these shoes mean that a person can get their own shoes on that previously would have had to ask somebody for help. Mm. And they have an actual sneaker that ties up. So th there's a story there. But the Nike Go Fly Ease is obviously the most advanced version of such a thing. And we're going to have to still wait on that. Unless uh, Nike can speed things up, we'll see. But in the meantime, there are some options out there, like kind of halfway versions of it. I mean, the black one looks really good. Yeah. The one that I sent you. Coming soon, man. Cool. Super interesting. Try it out. Let's do it. Oh, I think, did you spot that? This was uh, in that video there. The person is, is, uh, has a prosthetic. You see what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, okay. They really are trying to send the the accessibility message here. I I got I right I gotta say, like I can get behind that, man. That's that is cool. Mm -hmm. That it's a thing that you don't. I'm telling you, you don't think about it. Yeah. You. Know, I don't feel when 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 the thing first came out, all the headlines, the buzz style hype style sure, headlines. Yeah. It, it didn't take any of that into account. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, take it into account that for some people, this is like, damn, I can buy all these sneakers. If I see the Fly Ease badge, I know I can get it on easily. It's accessible. It's accessible, exactly. So I'm just, well, I'm just putting it out there, okay. man. Okay, yeah. I hope you don't mind. I'm just putting it out there. All right. Uh, sticking with the privacy topic, which appears to be a, a, big, a big thing today, Tinder is going to introduce in-app background checks. Think about that for a second. So obviously this is an area where this is an intimate thing, dating. I don't know anything about it, but it's a, you know, yeah, it's an intimate thing. The dating, I'm not dating right now. Well, hate to break it to you. Oh. Yeah. Ladies out there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Tinder is a popular application. Sure. For dating and meeting people and all that. Uh, however, could be a bit sketchy, I guess. Mm. Just a touch sketchy. Meeting up with a random person. What? Uh, what do you got? You got a photo? What do you got? 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. What, you got a photo? Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Meet me here. A photo uh, and a quick bio. Yeah, excuse me. That location seems a little bit risky. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll be there. Didn't you see my oh, photo? Wow. I'm really good looking. It's like, wait, is that even you? Other apps have implemented the video feature, so you have to prove it's you in the first place. Because otherwise, oh, yeah. you could have people setting up fake profile. Much like I was saying with the previous uh -huh. stories, there's ways in which people can screw around with this thing. But this, I don't know if this is a bit much. I'm not really sure. Background checks? A background check feature to its platform. I don't know exactly how this will work, but imagine running a background check. It's a bit, uh, what can I say? I mean, it's not the most romantic thing. Is it going to be something simple like it's a check mark, like you're good or? No, dude. It's a full police background Criminal. check. We'll show the entire history. Oh, man. The only thing that it will exclude is... Well, maybe some people are into that. The only thing you that know? it will exclude, apparently, is uh, traffic. Traffic stuff. But I didn't... I don't... Okay, I don't know. Am I being sympathetic? Look, I don't want anybody to be assaulted or anything like that. Like, mm. that's terrible. I, I don't want that. But I also think there's something to... Like second chances as well. If a person had a charge, I don't know, am I crazy right now? But like, let's say a person had a charge 10 years ago, it's on a record for life. They got in a fight or something or. Yeah, everyone here has like a report card that can't be. I don't know. Changed. I don't know. It's actually, I'm kind of conflicted on it. I'm like, look, you did it. It's on the record. That's why you have a record. That's that's the whole that's the whole point. Dude. Yeah. If, if if you have that record, should the person you're about to meet up, but you don't have you don't even know this person at all, and they got a, now they got a background check on you, do you have to approve of it? Uh -huh. Is it automatically available after the swipe? Like I'm really curious about the implementation here, but uh, actually Congress put heat on them. Apparently there's just, uh, there's a number of assaults that have led to this mm -hmm. kind of thing because it ends up back on the platform. Pa person goes, excuse me, I was assaulted over here. And this person was a registered offender. Yeah. And you let him on the platform. Yeah. So I feel all that too. Mm. But it's just a real tough one to figure out whose job is that and how easy should they make it. And then once you put the feature in, how do you not do it? Right? If you're a, a perspective, if you're about to meet up with somebody... And, and and how do you justify not doing the background? So now everybody's running background checks on everybody right. to meet anybody. Because all of a sudden, someone's going to, your friend's going to call you up and go, I'm saying if you're like a, uh, uh, I don't know, a 20-year-old 20, 20 woman or something, your friend's going to call you up and say, you didn't run a background check. No, they're going to blame you if something goes wrong because yeah. the feature was built in there. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I think... Uh health and safety is more important than like awkwardness but oh, but wait a minute i weird. didn't mean it as an awkwardness i didn't mean it like that yeah i meant it as a way in which we approach humans and situations sure that yeah. that like hi nice to meet you can i get the background can i get a background check uh-huh whoa uh -huh. whoa like it's it really uh makes things very structured cold and 
uh, no, not um, polar. Yeah. Yes or no? Like, there's not very much nuance in there. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Look, obviously, it's a, obviously it's a lot of uh, situations that would lead to such a thing. Uh, funny enough, the company behind Tinder, Match, they have all the dating sites. I mean, like most of them, they got a bunch of them. They invested in the background check company. <laughs> we rec we we recognize corporations can play a key role in helping remove those barriers with technology and true collaboration rooted in action. Uh, Match Group, Tinder's parent company, is going to include the feature across all of its platforms at a later date. The background checks company was founded by women and collects public records of violence, abuse, arrests, convictions, restraining orders, harassment, and other violent crimes to create its reports. Uh... A 2019 investigation by ProPublica Pro found registered offenders on many of Match Group's free platforms. Yeah, it's 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 a rock and a hard place. It's super hard. You want to run this operation. You want to make money. You can't have these reports coming out. Mm -hmm. So you have to put these features in place. They also, in 2020, put a panic button feature that would immediately store information about a date, including location data and alert emergency services if mm -hmm. the button was pressed. <laughs> Willie Do's on a date. <laughs> all, dude, all of a sudden, the, 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 the phone is on the table, panic button, ready to go. They're like eyeing you down. I was like, hey, hey. What? Yeah, yeah. You're like, no, no, no. I, I, I promise you trip, fall, land. Awkwardly, they hit yeah. the button. You were trying to get near me. Coughs are right outside. Difficult. It's a difficult topic, but yeah. No. There's a there's certain circumstances. Dating is hard and... In 2021, I mean, there's certain circumstances where I look at something and I say to myself, I'm kind of glad I didn't even have to think about it. You know what I mean? It's It really truly is a luxury to not even think about it. And it's not possible to not think about it now, hence the article, hence mm -hmm. the feature. So now you had to go into meeting people with the uh, utmost um, concern and skepticism uh, skepticism and, and that's how you're gonna approach things and hopefully everybody passes their background checks <laughs> uh walmart has its own streaming stick coming out and it's got android tv 10 and you probably noticed it's packing google's remote their reference design which is kind of interesting I didn't even know there was such a thing as following their reference design for Android TV, but there is. This one right here? Yeah. It's a different color. But do you recall from uh, the latest Android TV stuff? That's the remote. Is it? Oh, I thought it was a little smaller. But uh... Smaller? Well, if you saw in the pictures, this is barely bigger than the power brick. What was it called again? The Chrome Streaming. <laughs> the what? Oh, it used to be called Chromecast. They don't call it that anymore, right? Yeah. What was it called again? Chromecast with Google TV? Yeah, they call it Google TV now, I guess. Anyway, there's a remote. <laughs> Whoa! Their website what? is too dynamic. I can't even get a good look at it. But it's certainly the same shape. Sure. It has the yeah. same buttons, give or take. Close. It's very close. I guess they added... What did Walmart add to it? Go back to the... Oh, they added a Disney Plus button and an hbo hbo it's not max is it 
I don't know. They added a couple of uh, shortcut buttons on there, but oh yeah, it is. It's it's roughly the same layout with this circular section and yep. then a big assistant button. And presumably, Walmart's product is going to come in at a cheaper price. You can see the stick itself. By the way, it's called On O N N. I'm not sure about the name. The stick itself is quite small, and apparently, it's going to come in for the for a uh, lower price point, or at least that's the speculation because it's only capable of 1080p 60. So it's not a 4K capable device. But I don't know. I mean, you saw the the Google product is 69. I mean, maybe, what does this have to come in at then? 39, 29? What's Roku's cheapest stick? Like, like That's probably really what they're up against as far as what Walmart's going to sell. Um, the device is certified for both Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and offers support for Disney Plus and HBO Max given dedicated shortcut buttons. I think Roku's cheapest might even be 29. I don't know. I, I thought I, it I was could, 29, yeah. I, I could be crazy. Right. You're looking at TVs instead of, uh, you're better off to just go to Amazon, but streaming yeah, streaming players. players, yeah. Good. <laughs> Roku's like, how dare you, Will? Roku's like, oh, you don't happen to be running a show right now, do yeah. you? Because our site's going to be kind of slow at the moment. Yeah, that's why I always go straight to Amazon. You can't trust this stuff. Plus, Amazon might have a lower price. They often have promos on Roku products. So, here we go. Bingo. 47, that's not the cheapest. 29, there it is. Roku Express, and that's also not going to be 4K. And the remote layout is going to be a little bit different, but anyway, probably this is similar to what Walmart will be targeting with their offering. They may want right. to come, come for this, uh, come do battle with Roku. But instead, packing Google's tech. Chinese scientists challenge Google's quantum supremacy claim with a new algorithm and a bunch of GPUs. I don't know if you recall a while back, but uh, Google in 2019 said its Sycamore processor did a task in three minutes and 20 seconds that would take a classical supercomputer 10,000 years to do the same. Hmm. Right? So this is... This is the whole quantum supremacy conversation. Can it mine ETH, though? That's right. That's a real question. Well, it is. It is. Funny enough, it is because the researchers in this case actually used 60 GPUs and took a different approach and different algorithm and were capable of turning the 10,000 years previously referenced into five days, which right. is not three minutes, to be clear. But it's not 10,000 years yeah. either. It's actually closer to three minutes than it is to 10,000 years. Uh, so they used, yeah, 60 GPUs. There's a picture of it. It does look like a mining rig, kind of. They're using NVIDIA V100 and A100 graphics processors for the experiments. Uh, yeah, you guys scroll down a little bit. You'll see Good. the GPUs. We have a subscription to South China. Oh, do we? You're just not logged in, I guess. Okay, hold on. South China uh, Morning Post, by the way, is a Jack Ma product, part of Alibaba. And and a, a follow-up, a story that we're going to get to here, uh, maybe two tabs from now, 
You're not going to log in, are you? Well, you don't need to see it. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of a mining rig that they used in order to defeat the original. They think they can do even better, and I mean, it's certainly not a quantum computer, but they're saying that the gap between Google's quantum computer, the Sycamore in this case, and what you can achieve with classical computers is not as vast as they had originally represented, which has, of course, all kinds of implications. Uh, all right, next up. Signal's encrypted messaging app just went dark in China, stopped working in China. And it was one of the few, actually, one of the few Western social media apps that was accessible in the nation. Kind of surprising that it was accessible, though, because yeah. the whole point of it was encrypted messaging that no one else can get their hands on. And it seems that that stuff doesn't normally fly in mm -hmm. China, <laughs> right? Normally. Anyway, so uh, it has gone dark in the nation, according to reports from TechCrunch and Reuters. The app, which is often used by reporters and anyone needing privacy, obviously, has been unavailable in mainland China since early this morning. The website as well was blocked as of March 15th. So it, sound, it sounded like it's a wrap for Signal in China. It had been installed 500,000 times in the nation, which isn't all that much compared to the 1.1 billion users of WeChat, the dominant messaging platform in China, but it is still something, enough to put it on the radar of the regulators over there and apparently take it down. Uh, I believe that the app is still available on Apple's App Store. It is. So the government hasn't yet ordered Apple to remove it. You can still use it via a VPN if you really need to, but I guess it's unfortunate. I mean, you you want people to have options over here. Yeah, what about the Telegram? Do you think they're next? I don't know if Telegram is even currently available in China. No, eh? no I'm not. I'm not sure, but you can check. Can you use Telegram in China? It could be another option for people. You're correct. Yes, Telegram is blocked in China. Oh. The messaging app and his website were censored in 2015 after oh, wow. after a dis distributed denial-of-service attack on its servers in Asia-Pacific, which some believe to be a state-sponsored act. Whoa! You hit it. You you were like, I just have a simple question. I and know. Then, it phew, went heavy. They hit you with the the full deal. Anyway, you Very can look direct, into though. it. You can look good into job. it yourself, but uh, good luck, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Uh, this is the story I was talking about regarding Jack Ma and Alibaba. Apparently, there's even this crackdown thing continues. Um, the leadership there has warned, advised, I think, Jack Ma to divest some of his interests in media companies, media-related companies, including uh, social media platforms like Weibo. And hmm. they're like, it's too much power. In one place. They're yeah. like, it's, it's cool. You can do the thing with the shopping and the commerce, but then you want to do the finance. And they're like, no, 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 no. And now they're sitting there looking at it and they're saying, oh, yeah, also that other stuff, all the media related stuff. Because it's truly, and it's kind of shocking. I guess it's the same here. It's the same yeah, elsewhere. If you get too powerful. But, but it's more, but it's what I'm saying is it's more when okay. I was there. When I was there, it was like, that's a 10 cent company, that's an Alibaba company. Like, I really didn't hear about any other companies. Oh. It really felt like a two-horse race over there. And now I'm sure I'm missing one or the other in, in tech. There might be, there's, there's a few other players. Oh, uh, ByteDance. 
ByteDance is on its own, but it's you'd be surprised all the sub products under those brands. And I know that uh, you have Amazon here and you have Google and Facebook, and, mm -hmm. but you see already I'm naming more players mm -hmm. already. And so I kind of understand as far as uh, it, it would be phrased differently. They would they would be it's for the customer. It's sure. so we we don't have monopolies. I think the difference is the way the government is established, it has a kind of a different look to it when it takes place. Uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, the article seems to indicate that some moves are going to have to be made. Um, the decision to remove the popular UC browser is the latest hit to the empire of Jack Ma, China's most famous entrepreneur, after regulators scuppered the record $37 billion initial public offering. I don't, have not used that word ever in my life. That's a first. Uh, of the Ant Group. That was the financial technology company that was going to be launched. And then, of course, Jack Ma was uh, uh, kind of, I mean, not in hiding, but laying low around that time. So now you have the UC browser, which has been taken out. You had the initial public offering, which was taken out. And then you have the suggestion to, hey, maybe get out of the media biz. Mm -hmm. So quite a few shots that uh, Jack Ma's having to deal with over there. All right, last one of the day. Willie do, or unless you have a wild card, do you? No wild card? Have you not seen the comments? Have you not heard the people? Nah. You know, people blame me on the last episode. They said, uh, they said Lou, we told you that we want the wild card. We did the thumbs up. We did everything you asked. We said very nice things about Will Do. And then and then they blame me and they said, and you didn't let him do the wild card. People don't understand. It's not about me letting. <laughs> I mean, I encourage the wild card every time. I don't know Willie, about that. Willie Do is always shutting you guys down. You had to blame him, not me. I told well, you him. you always leave. You got to stay here. What are you talking that, about? That's no, it's your moment. Show. The wild card round is your moment. It's well, your you time to shine. No, it, that's the whole point of the wild card, Will. No, no. That's the whole point of the wild no. card. Is that it's no, your we're time. all in this together. It's that's your time to shine. It's your time to shine. And I can't be stealing the spotlight. I can't be taking those camera angle switches. The camera's over here the whole time. <laughs> Imagine we just reverse these. Yeah, the camera's here the whole time, man. I can't be taking those switches from you. It's the people, the people deserve to get 100% quality mm. Willie Do at the end of the show. And that's the whole point of the wild card round, the Willie Do wild card. You see how it has Willie Do in front of it? It doesn't say Lou anywhere in there. There's no Lou. There's no later. There's none of that. So so are you going to be able to pull something together today or are we going to have to wait to the next episode? That's it. He's shaking his head no. So look, I, at least I told you guys it wasn't my fault. All right, so sure, I'll wrap bro. it up with a final story. Here we go. You tell me, Will, why are there black stripes on the side of school buses? You know, I saw this uh, article, oh. but I didn't read it. Oh, good. I didn't read it. No. Okay, good. Good, good, good. So then you can take um, a nice shot at it. I I honestly don't know. Just for distinguishment? Yellow and black? Oh, like contrast? Sure. That's my guess. I, I don't you know, it's not a, bad. It's not bad. I, I do agree. It kind of almost like it a... It just looks very... Uh, yeah, it's got a little pop to it. For sure. You would spot it from a distance. Um, okay, so first off, they're, they're 
little bumper things. So if the if the vehicle is to bump into anything, they stick out further than the side of the bus, so they'll hit first. So they're made out of rubber. Yeah, like a rubbery plastic type of thing. Okay. But what actually is the key of this particular article is where they are placed. So you'll see it's like, okay, why do you have, so you have these three separate bumper lines and they're in a very specific location. And this is where things get interesting. So it's actually explained, I think it was a TikTok. I think it was a TikTok. I want to give the guy a shout out because that's what the Jalopnik article is based on. Oh no, it was a YouTube. It was just a vertical video YouTube. And what is the guy's channel? Let me give him a shout out here. His name is Claw Boss. Claw Boss. He is back with another school bus video. How amazing is that? Really? All yeah. he does is school bus I don't videos? know if it's all he does, but he said he's back with another school bus video. Okay, I'll tell you. Oh, wow. He is a school bus channel. Oh. Incredible. Anyway, so he has uh, hit it big on this. Oh, this is an old video which just started going viral, I guess. Because it's definitely not his latest upload. When was this uploaded? 2.1 million, March 4th. All right, so it's like, was that like 10 days old? Hmm. He goes on to explain in the video that the location of the lines, which is key, identify what is on the other side of the bus on the inside. So the top line is the top edge of the seat where a person would be sitting. The next line is the bottom portion of the seat, like the actual cushion that you sit on. So the top line is the backrest where it ends. Oh, okay. The next line is the seat cushion itself. And the last line on the bottom there is the floor. Right. Now, the reason this is important is because if the bus is ever is ever in an accident, then the, uh, the individuals, the first responders would know where to cut in order to evacuate, attempt to evacuate people. Uh, I see. With the jaws of life. That's what he just explained. Yeah. So you've seen these black lines in the past. And so Jalopnik looked into it. And, and they're like, yeah, he's right. <laughs> they, were, they, they were kind of surprised to find out when they were looking at the regulations that these lines have to be in those key locations. They were looking actually at the North Carolina requirements three guardrails describes them in uh in a, in a wording that well let me just read it in addition to the side stringer or rub rail required in the above wheel housing section there shall be applied to the outside of the body three guardrails these members to be corrugated so as to provide maximum stiffness and shall be 16 gauge or heavier Pressed in guardrails will not meet these requirements. Guardrails shall be located at the following approximate locations floor level, seat level, and windowsill level. So there hey, you have these it. These ones will. are not marked. What the heck? Those ones are not black. So yeah. that gets rid of your original. They don't have to be black. Really? I've never seen like a... Yeah, neither have yellow. I. The older buses, I think, had had oh. it without the black. I think they just decided at some point right. that they should identify them better. But the key is the location, not mm. necessarily the color. So in this case, they do a better job than I did. Window sill, seat level, and floor level. Cool. There you have it, Will. The lines on a bus, the wheels on a bus go round and round. 